Welcome to the Cold World Podcast, an energy converted production. Welcome to the Cold World Podcast. It's good to be back. Uh, the last show I did was with my guy, Ben Hilaire, who is the founder of Subway Talent and doing some amazing stuff. I hope y'all are still going to support him. Um, ever since he, he had his grind on Apple TV on the show Planet of the Apps, man, he's just been out here grinding. So uh, I wish him the best. Uh, Benz, you can come back anytime, man. Um, today I have a really special guest. Uh, Benz was special, too. They both special. I said that wrong. But... Um, but this is my friend. Uh, this is somebody that I admire, somebody that I get to do work with, uh, somebody who treats me like I'm her own blood and just has rooted me on for a long time. And she's doing some amazing stuff herself. I have Miss Gwendolyn Samuel on the line with me today. doing, And she's just doing some really dope work. I'm just going to read your bio, Gwen, but we're going to jump into it. And I took this off of your website. So if any of it's wrong, it's 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 cause y'all cause it's on your it's on your website. So uh uh Gwen Samuel is a mom of children that attend Connecticut public schools. In February of 2016, she launched Equity Impact Strategies or EIS Consulting, a place where community building and public policy intersect. In addition, she is an she is an equity and education advocate and facilitator who founded three community-based organizations in Connecticut. CT Parents Union, the State of Black Connecticut Alliance, and the Merit and, and the Meriden Kids Walk Safe Coalition, uh, Safe Routes to School Initiative. She is also the author of the upcoming book Game on Parents: Moving from the Sidelines into the Game of Education Reform, which is due out in 2018. People, can you all help me welcome my homie, my friend, uh, Miss Gwen Samuels? How you doing, Gwen? my brother Charles and you right I'm excited to be here from CT to California that's what I'm talking about thank you so much for having me no problem but thank you for joining man I think that you've been doing some amazing amazing work and like I just really want to be able to to lift that up and I just knew we have a good time just talking um and before we jump in uh, I'm a hip-hop head and uh since the last time I did a show uh we lost a hip-hop legend uh prodigy of Mob Deep uh, really influential in my life, um, and we're gonna get back to your story, Gwen. I just gotta pay homage to to somebody that meant a lot to me. Um, it's funny because with Mob Deep, I'm I, I live in California. I grew up in California. I've been here since I was ten, and so when Mob Deep was going at it real heavy with Tupac and them, they didn't even play Mob Deep here. So I didn't rec- I didn't learn about uh, Mob Deep or listening to them until long after Tupac had passed away, and then I kind of fell in love with their music. and And so Prodigy was just a um, a real big figure for me. So RIP, uh, he struggled with sickle cell anemia. And I think that's what p- played a big part in him passing. Um, so as, as a hip hop guy, I could not do a show without mentioning that brother. So I want to jump into what it is, like who you are in the background of this work, but I just really want folks to get to know you. I just want them to get to know the Gwen that I know and that I love. And if you all want to follow Gwen, you can on Twitter at real talk Gwen S that's real talk Gwen S on Twitter. She's active on there. So talk to her. She'll talk back. And then her website is real talk Gwen And that real talk piece is not just a moniker. Uh, Gwen gives it to you real and she gives it to you straight and uh, she just has uh, God just gave her an amazing heart, man. And I just like spending time with her. I got to find a reason and excuse to come out to CT and help them on on some of their work, man. But Gwen, yes. tell 
yeah, tell the people about you, Gwen. Like, what? Let's just start off just right there. Like, what's your organization? Like, how did you come to doing this type of work? Right. So I'm a mom. You know, we hear people say I'm a parent, I'm a mom, but I really am. So I got kids currently in the public school system. So as long as my children and other people's children are in the school system, I got stake in the game. Mm -hmm. And so when you got stake in the game, the only talk you better have about these babies is real talk. The problem is our babies are suffering because we're trying to dance around issues. We're trying to dance around history. We're trying to dance around. I love the title of your show, right? This cold world. Because as much as I want to think that all people care about children, they don't. So when I started this work, I don't even know how I got started. It, it, it just, it's just crazy because mm -hmm. I didn't even know about achievement gaps. I'm, I was really that traditional mom in the sense of I got the letter in the mail. I did what I was supposed to do. You sent me the letter, told me where my baby was going to go. I didn't know it had anything to do with zip code. You just told me my baby had to go there. I grew up learning that you sent your babies where government, where states tell you to send them. And mm -hmm. I never questioned it. That's how it's been. That's how I was raised up. So how many, kid, how many kids do you have, Gwen? So I have four children. I have um, a, a young man. He works in insurance in Florida. Um, I recently lost my son last year. He, he, was, he just turned 25. He died in a, a pass away in a fatal car accident last year. So my world is still reeling mm. uh, from that uh, a year ago around this time. And, and then I have two other high school students. I have a freshman while well, she's about to be a sophomore. And I have a senior. And so my world is full. I, 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 I vowed after four children, I wasn't going to fall for them words, I love you anymore. <laughs> they love you, I seem to have a baby. <laughs> uh, okay, because we keeping it real today, my brother. We keep, I, that's what I'm talking, we keeping it real. That's, that's so, what we doing. You know, so I move, you know, past she that. She said, anytime somebody said, I love you, I seem to have another baby. That's what's up. <laughs> So, you know, so I'm, I'm just this young mom. I had my first two children. I consider myself young. I was 24, mm -hmm. right? My mother helped me raise them. Then I had another one at 26. And those, that's still young, right? I went, I started college. I started out at FAMU, uh, but I wasn't ready for college, you know? And so then I went back home and, uh, you know, tried to work it out. Again, my family's still supporting me. And then there was this, this turning point in my life uh, in my early 30s where, a young lady of me called and said, Gwen, uh, can you take my daughter to school one day? Now, I didn't know nothing about achievement gaps. I'm just, she just called me, and we're community. So I said, sure, what time I got to pick her up? She said around, you know, 630 because she's a walker. I said, well, no problem. I'll pick her up. So I went to go pick her up, and it's dark outside. I'm seeing trees all over the place. It's dark. And I'm like, what baby walking anywhere under these conditions? So then... I thought it was a misunderstanding that this young lady, and she was in middle school, and her daughter was in kindergarten. I'm like, what baby's walking? Like? So fast forward, I'm like, okay, I took her to school. I'm like, is you sure it's not a misunderstanding? No school district would make kids walk under these conditions. Of course, they were mostly black and brown children. Mm -hmm. So I thought I would just go. I, didn't, I never really went to a board of ed meeting. I was, like I said, I was a very traditional mom. I went to a couple of parent-teacher conferences, but... You know, they act like I was a visitor, even though my baby was there. So I never really felt welcome in the school, but I just did my part. And there was a part to play. And when I went to the school, I saw there was kids walking under condition. That's why I started the Meriden Kids Walk Safe. Mm. safe out. So I really started in the world of safety for children. 
and I didn't it didn't do it for any organization. It's all been volunteer for me. It's to me it's just the right thing to do. When you see something wrong when it comes to our babies, you handle your business. It don't need politics, it don't need permission when it comes to safety in children. So when I realized that in my city we had kids walking across highway ramps, I want to be clear with you. Highway ramps over a thousand cars an hour. But your babies ain't walking across these highway ramps, but our babies are. That just wasn't going to work for me. So I started to advocate, and as a result, I mean, fighting the state. And that's where they started to understand systems, that things were really unequal. And again, I had a great educational experience. I, I was a part of a traditional public school system, elementary, middle school. My mother sent me to a, a private school when I was in high school. And I remember we didn't have food in the refrigerator. But she made sure that she sent me to a school because she wanted me to be college ready, as they say. Mm -hmm. And even though academically I was college ready, mentally, you know, maturity wise, I wasn't college ready. But, you know, thank God for life and everyday mercies. And then I went and got my bachelor's degree at the age of 36. And so I say that to say it's never too late to learn. So that's how I started. And then I fell off the map. Right. And the next thing you know, Obama's elected. I'm all happy. We all cry. We got the first president. Jesus, thank you. Right. We all like that. The next thing I know, they start talking about achievement gaps. I thought I was done with my advocacy until they started blaming black parents for achievement gaps. So then it woke me up once again. I'm like, how are you blaming me? I don't sign NAM contract. I don't know nothing about your system. I never knew how teachers came in the classroom. I know you sent me a letter. They were there. Hmm. And then now you about to blame me for the conditions of the school? Well, I need to learn more about what you blaming me for. And so that's when I was introduced to California. So this is fast forward from 2006, eight, the president's elected. And then I heard about a group called Parent Revolution in California. So this was uh, Shirley Ford, uh, retired Senator Gloria Romero, and I heard about this law called the Parent Trigger in California. So I came across this email. It was like 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. I just want you to be clear because I realized they don't sleep, so I learned early on I better not sleep. So I, I'm checking the emails out, and then there go the Parent Revolution, passing a Parent Trigger law where parents had legal rights to help themselves. So I thought, well, they doing it in California. They calling me lazy. Let me do my part. So I try to introduce, so me and a Hispanic lady, Millie Arciniegas, we introduced that law in California. Now, you got it passed in January of 2010. By February 2010, we were talking to lawmakers. Didn't have a clue, really. But we knew, since you calling us lazy and black folk don't care, let me help dispel that myth, shall we? So we introduced our Black and Puerto Rican Caucus. We introduced this law. And I honestly believe, brother, brother, I really thought, and I'm going to put my hand on my head on this one. I thought when parents introduced that law, that we would be embraced because you were already stereotyping us that Black folk and poor folk don't care. So if we're introducing a bill that holds us accountable, as well as holding you accountable to improve the educational conditions, then we should be what they say, all great, it should be all good. And please, 
I never knew about teachers. I got to look at this screen. I'm trying to figure out this whole Skype thing. Uh, you fine. You good. The unions came after us like we stole something from the house. And I'm like, so well, when you say the unions came for you. Oh, yes. What? I mean, it started. Yeah. Editorials. Editorials. Coming at parents? Newspaper. Yeah. So, so let me be clear. So at this point, this, you okay. are with a group of other parents and yes. y'all are learning these things and, 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 and making and making some noise. And the yes. folks that then come after you is the, the teachers union. Mostly the teachers union, but 99.9. The reason why I say very specifically the teacher, and I can say this without saying, oh, the status quo. I can be very mm-hmm. specific on this one. Mm-hmm. Because if it wasn't for Rashawn Biddle, this is back in 2010 now. I'm on the scene. I mm-hmm. think I'm doing a little something, something. Right? Rashawn Biddle comes across a national PowerPoint presentation. Said, how Connecticut diffused the parent trigger. And I, we all up in there. My group all up at that. That time I wasn't what, I, what people know me now as the Connecticut Parents Union. Mm-hmm. I was, um, they knew me as the state of black Connecticut because everything I did was around the state of black Connecticut right. for advocacy purposes. Okay. So Sean Biddle comes across this this presentation, which, they, by the way, they took down immediately, but my brother Bad, he captured it, notified us that uh, the state of black Connecticut alliance wouldn't stand with these Connecticut parents in this national presentation, not no local presentation, a national presentation about how they circumvented us, how they told parents to go through the the front door while we welcoming them and they go into the lawmakers in the back door. They actually opposed the parent trigger because they said they thought the word trigger was too violent. But then the number one section in their presentation was called kill mode. Mm. How are you going into kill mode against parents like me who really got kids in the school system, but you don't like the word parent trigger because it sounds violent. Well, at least it's just a trigger. You trying to kill us or take us out of here. So anyway, it was crazy. But I will tell you, if we think about that quote by from Margaret Mead, and you think about um, Fannie Lou Hamer, when you talk about the the, the power of a, a small group, mm-hmm. and we were a nice side group. We had several hundred parents when we fought for this bill. So how many parents way, did you start with, and how many did you finish with? Oh, when I started with, it was about five, three to five. five. Three to five. You started with three to five parents. When we passed the law, we were at 750. How long was that time? In 90 days, you went from three to five to 750 parents. In 90 days. And not only 750 parents in 90 days, we passed the law in 90 days. That's amazing. No funding, no anything. Even I want to be totally 100 with you. We had Ed Reformers on board with us. I'm talking prominent Ed Reformers on board with us. Because the parent trigger was getting so much play at the legislative level, I had a leader come up to me on the third, me, by myself, up on the third place, says, Gwen, can I speak to you for a minute? I was like, sure, what's up, Alex? That's his name, Alex. What's up, Alex? He said, look, this parent trigger is taking over the legislative session. He's with charters. He said, it's taking over the legislative session. I looked at him like, you do you, boo. And being parents gonna do us. What you calling me for? What did you expect me to say? We sorry that we fighting for our babies. We'll tone it down. What are you serious? And he said that thing with a straight face. So that's when I knew 
that if we didn't do other people's agendas, then our babies were going to continue to be stuck in schools that don't want them, that some are not capable of educating them, and some just flat out say, I'll kill you before I educate you. So let me get this straight. That's what so let me get this straight. So so you didn't you didn't do this with like a big organization. You didn't have like hundreds of thousands of dollars. You didn't have like a PhD or an EDD in education and doing this stuff. This started, this fire started when you went to pick up your friend's kid and saw the conditions that they were walking home in. And then you go, oh, go ahead. Like that, that, that's, that's how this started. That's how all this started. And let me tell you how much we didn't have money. Millie Arseniegas, who was now founded the Harvard Parent University, we were on the phone the day they were going to have public hearings. I was like, well, how much gas you got in the car? <laughs> I was like, I ain't got no gas. She said, I said, look, I'm about to ride. I'm being totally 100. I'm going to take these quarters out. My kids, piggy bank, you meet me at Walmart. We'll pool our monies together. And we gonna, and, and that's how we saved up to buy a camcorder to not only put gas in the car, but trying to save up so we can buy to record this because we knew we were about to make history in Connecticut. They just didn't know it yet. The status quo was so comfortable, they didn't know we black and brown folk was coming for our babies. That's and wild. that's how we did it. Yep, we put gas in the car. We both had a quarter of a tank. Her gas lasted longer because she lived in Harvard. Mine was going to run out quick. We came up there, and that's when I knew it was game on. That's when I knew. If I never knew anything, I tried to cry and stuff, but if I never knew anything, I knew in 2010 that these systems that we, we talk about historically, that we talk about Brown v. Board of Ed, it, it's just beyond that. People are just trying too hard. People will go to extreme lengths to keep our children trapped in systems that not just deny them education, but hurt them. So I just knew, I said, God, you're going to have to help me with this because when this, when 2010 come after we got that law passed in 90 days and we passed the law, I said, I'm not, I'm done. But God said, it's not, I, you, you can't be done. So let, know, me, let, me, I, let me, let me, let me jump in real quick because. So normally when I do my podcast, I do it. I talk about everyday stuff. I have like, you know, I have dope people on every now and then, but mostly it's just me talking. But even as I'm listening, I'm going to end up doing something I've never done on the podcast as long as I've been doing it. Because I know that this conversation, people are going to take this conversation outside of the context of my podcast. And I can see them starting to use it with parents and talking about the power that parents have and, and, and what they can do. And I think that your story is that powerful. So assuming that you got a group of parents that's poor, that don't have a bunch of education, that feel that they get in the short end of the stick and don't feel respected and don't think that they can make big, a, a really big difference themselves. What message do you want to say directly to those folks like right now? You know, what I would say is, look, some of us have had bad experiences in schools and that's why we don't show up in the schools. But I'm asking them to look at it the opposite way. It is because you had those bad experiences in the schools that you must go see about your babies. You must go to those schools. I didn't have a clue of sitting in some of these meetings, but I knew one thing. You weren't going to continue to do what you do to children or my baby. So if we would fight for children in any other context, if we saw a bully hurting our children, we would run out in the street for them. If we heard someone disrespecting our babies, we would rise up to the occasion. 
I'm asking parents to look at education the same way and that you must rise for these children. There is never an excuse other than death. There is only one thing that should keep you from your baby's classroom or that school, and that is death, because then you can't do anything. But as long as you got breath in your body, you have to, you must, it is imperative, you go check on your babies, and if it ain't working right, we should be having enough courage, and I've done it. It might mean you got to withdraw your baby from school looking crazy in the kitchen table, but it's better for you to be looking crazy at your kitchen table trying to figure out next steps than having people traumatize your children, having two people harm your children. Because I do believe these kids will grow up to hate us. They would hate us because we knew this was happening to them and we did nothing to stop it. Man, that's 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 incredibly, incredibly powerful. So well I was about to ask you what your biggest win is, um, passing this law um seems to be a huge huge win is that law still on the books oh yes it's still on the books and we passed another law in 2013 so let run this down for me so in 2000 the first law got passed in what year 2010 and that was called the what the parent trigger the parent parent trigger. yep first so, law ever on the books ever history connecticut ain't had nothing for parents until we came over and then 2013 you passed another law Yes, and that was uh, called our zip code laws because Connecticut had a law that a parent can face up to 20 years in jail if they put their babies in another school district. And in 2011, see, this is the crazy part. In 2010, I wasn't even the Connecticut Parents Union. I'm just trying to find my way. So because of how the unions came after us, I created the Connecticut Parents Union in 2011, in January 2011. We couldn't even get off the ground solid 30 days. I mean, phone calls off the hook. And then by April, we had the first arrest of a parent in Norwalk who was arrested for putting her kindergarten baby, her five-year-old black male, in another school district. And she faced 20 years. We couldn't even chance to form. Couldn't have a strategic meeting. Couldn't figure out how we were going to survive as an organization. And then now we now you arresting parents and we came and we took that to Supreme Court. We took that to the governor. There are times I was the only parent because people were tired. We didn't have we trying to have gas money and transportation money and take care of our kids and put food on the table in an all volunteer. And from 2011 to 2013, we fought to stop the felony arrest and the governor signed it in law in 2013. So you will no longer. Uh, penalize our babies through a jail cell, our, our parents, because they chose a different zip code because you don't want to keep somebody else's baby safe. And that's interesting. So in my own life, when I was going from middle school to high school, I went to school in, in Oakland, and there was a really good high school in Berkeley, California, called uh, Berkeley High School. It was built in part by UC Berkeley. It had all these different type of classes and stuff. And my mother was trying to, like, get me into that school. So she went to try to get the inter-district transfer, and she got denied. And so then we thought about, like, using somebody else's address, but you find out that you can go to jail for doing that. And so, yep. like, listening to that, I mean, that's crazy. And then they got that national case that happened where that black woman um, – Put her Kelly, kid in another school. What's her name? Yeah, Kelly Williams Bullard. And we, I work. Let's say her name one more time so people can hear it so they know. Kelly Williams Bullard from Akron, Ohio. Mm. Not only was she charged as a felon, she did go to jail. They swabbed her mouth when she, when you hear her story, that's why every chance I tell it, they swabbed her mouth that you, 
like a felon. Like you would think she had to have murdered somebody. And all she did, but if you listen to her story, they don't even realize her house had gotten broken into. Her kids were walking to school unsafe. And her dad only lived not even two miles away from her house. Two miles. And he owned his home. So he was a taxpayer. Granddad stepped in for his grandbabies. And what did Ohio say? You're about to be arrested for that. And the governor had to come in, Governor Kasich, I think it was, he had to intervene, reduce her charges to a felony, I mean a misdemeanor, and had to get her pardoned. Probation and everything. To me, that's so sinister. That is a clear case of the extremes that our current educational system will do to keep your baby trapped. And look at your mother. Fear, right? As much as she wanted to do, and even though you are a product, she still handled her business, could look at you. Right? I feel like a proud auntie, okay? You know? <laughs> but even with all of that, no parent should have to weigh that decision. Getting my child in the school that he needs, he or she needs, or face jail. I got parents giving up custody, giving up legal custody of their children to family members and friends or so-called friends just to get their kids an education. Unacceptable. That's crazy. I mean, this Thank has been you. so inspirational. I mean, just listening to like, you know, because I think a lot of times we make excuses about um, you, we wait for other people to come take care of us. You know what I'm saying? We get upset about what districts are doing to us. But I think what you're showing is you got to take that frustration and you got to actually do something with it. You got to actually take that, that negative energy and convert it into inner, in, into power that actually pushes your agenda and gets you what you need. Because for us, for poor folks, for black folks. And I know I'm not saying everybody got to go to college and all that stuff. But what we do know in our community is that college or or educational attainment is still one of the biggest switches that dictates whether a young person grows up in poverty or gets to change their, their position in life. And so I think that, like, when when I when I hear that. Right. And I had these conversations because a lot of people are oblivious to what we go through. Right. A lot of people um, I've seen like people yell down parents for wanting choice or for wanting the charter school or wanting their traditional school to do better or, or, or criticizing the teacher. I've seen parents get yelled down and it's just like, like it, it, it draws you back to the question of why, like, why do you think they put you through that? Like, why do you think that when you were trying to make these choices for your community, that, people would have something to say to you in a negative, like how shocking was that for you that like other people came at you for trying to do the right thing? I used to get sometimes yelled at from other parents about when you're too naive about this, about what's happening to children, you know? Um, Cause I was trusting, cause that's how you were raised, right? If you think about parental engagement today, Right? That's why they, they call it parental involvement. I don't even say involvement because as soon as you start saying involvement, they start thinking PTOs and bake sales, mm-hmm. literally. So I can't even go down that route of involvement. But when you say engaged, I looked up the definition of engaged, and that means to make a pact or an agreement. So that's what we are doing as parents. We are making an agreement with a stranger because until you know the teacher, they are stranger. Let's be very clear. Let's stop acting like we are part. People say, Parents as partners, uh, no, we're not. They ain't offer you a jail cell for going to the different zip code like they offered me. Uh, you don't get the you get to leave this school any day you want and try a new profession. But compulsory education law says you must send your baby to school or you will find the jail cell. So all things are equal. 
Now we can work together and build relationships, hopefully to get that partnership where you as an educator treat me as an equal, as a peer. But until that day happened, this old oh, we're partners and kumbaya, not when our babies are coming home crying, wet in the bed, pretending they sick so they don't have to go back to the school because they've been bullied or dragged or called stupid or ignorant and say, you'll never amount, your mama ain't nothing, your baby, and we know, and I get paid whether you do well or not. Who can handle that as a child, let alone an adult? So I, all I'm saying is we got to move past of what we can't do. And when it comes to these babies, we got to just do. And I will say this, though. If I tell you I don't be afraid, I'll be telling you a lie. Mm. If I don't tell you I cry at night, I'll be telling you a lie. If I tell you that my kids look at me and like, Mom, why? I don't even like how I speak to you, right? People think they got to come defend me because, Mom, why is she speaking to you that way? And I have to tell my kids, I, I, and you know, they have sacrificed along with me. And I have, have made some life adjustments because I take what we do to children seriously mm. because you can't keep saying they're the future and you don't create a safe present for how can they be the future and they not safe in the present. So it's, it ain't easy, but I'm telling you, if you're going to send them to a school, to somebody else's building, you must, despite substance abuse, domestic violence, despite divorce, despite life challenges, you're gonna, we're going to have to figure that thing out. But while we're figuring it out, you still got to protect those babies. And that's mm. not an easy task. But if we don't do it, who going to do it? Nah, that's, a, that's, I mean, that's amazing. I mean, so what were some of the biggest, well, what were some of the, the, the biggest uh, setbacks or failures that you experienced during, during this work? Because I know you just said, you know, it's not like, like at night you at home crying or, or it's just emotional. It's tough work. And I, I know I've, I've been a part of that work for a minute but just listening to your story is uh i mean and i know you and i didn't know all this stuff so i think this is just really powerful so but and i think it's important that we share our failures and shortcomings because other people once they hit those they know that like this is just part of the process right so if i look at what i could have done better you know number one i got my degree later on in life so i got my degree at 36 uh, graduate with a bachelor's at, at 206, and then I started to work. You know, I worked temporary, and and then I started to do this. I had a little saving, so I started to do this, and I didn't think, I didn't count the cost of what, what it would take to do this. And so, you know, there were times, you know, of course, I want to try to keep internet, but there's times I couldn't keep the lights on. I'm just keeping it 100, mm. right? And then when I started to look for jobs, now all of a sudden I got a reputation. You know, and so trying to separate the worlds and if I had to do some things over, I don't even know if I would do them different because mm. I think the fight that's needed, you have to be in it for children or not. And again, so I think some of my shortcomings, I don't call them failure, I call them life lessons maybe, is that, you know, making sure that I balanced advocacy with the role of being a mom at home. And making sure that I'm handling my business with my family. Because this does take an emotional toll on you. You know, people call me day and night from lawmakers from across the... That is literal. And there ain't no ego. No one pays me for this. But I have created such a foundation, if you will, that my kids are like, Ma, I need you too. Mm -hmm. But I have to know there's going to be a bill coming out tomorrow that might cripple my son. 
you know, so I think the challenge for me is not balancing work, making sure I had a, a steady source of income uh, with this advocacy or figuring out a way to make a living from it. But I always notice for me to make a living off this, somebody wanted me to sell my soul. Even the reformers wanted me to sell certain souls. So some people became up for, for auction and, and some of the things that were asked of me to do to get a job. Meaning I had to sell somebody's baby up the stream. Huh. And, you know, and I just couldn't. So if I had to do something different of figuring out how to balance advocacy with home life, I didn't have children to be one thing, right? And I know they miss their mama. They need their mama for everybody else's child and not handling my business like I should at home. And that was one thing. And then number two is making sure I have a solid network for self-care, you okay. know, because... I love one thing. I met um, this lady, uh, what's her name? Chanel Dunn and uh, Tafshir. They were formerly of New Jersey Bayo. And I love this piece. They did a training for us back here in April of this year because I'm still training. Every day I get a chance to and learn. Bayo, how to... And just because a lot of people don't know, like yeah. a lot of folks listening are not in the education world like that. Oh, so. Okay, yeah. So Black that's... Alliance for Educational Options. They're, they no longer exist in New Jersey Bay. I think they have a national one, but not mm -hmm. local but they did a training and they were saying about making sure we had such of a network that when you get tired, you can pass the baton. Mm. And so I just never had anyone. I'm good intention parents, right? Who want to do something. They're like, I just don't know, Miss Sam. I said, you don't got to be me. I need you to do you and do you well. And so, you know, and so being able to have someone to pass that baton, uh, I know now how to cultivate and how to share information i do that better but back in the day i just felt like it was just on me for some reason it felt like it was just on me i felt alone in this fight uh -huh. but as i met other parents and we started sharing tools and 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 no became a good word i'm good at no now no because i'm not that's your baby how i look coming for your baby and you ain't there for your baby mm. so you know really holding parents see we keep saying what is being done to parents but we also have to be true to ourselves. And as parents, we got to do better. Mm -hmm. Even with what you don't know, you don't need to know ABCs and one, two, threes to know what safety look like, right? And so there are things of holding ourselves accountable, not allowing other people to give us excuses. I see educators, not just teachers, educators say, well, you know, because they're poor and, and they didn't graduate school, that's no excuse. You're not going to give us excuse so you can keep doing what you want to our children. You got our baby, so that means there's a role I must play, mm. period. And so it's taking the excuse out. Well, that this has been amazing. Um, I mean, what's something that you want to leave folks with? Because like I said, I... I Listen, y'all, if you want to reach Gwen, I think people going a lot of people going to reach out to you. Uh, you can reach Gwen on Twitter at Real Talk Gwen S. And she spells Gwen G-W-E-N. It will be in the show notes. Uh, and her website, her website is realtalkgwensamuel.com. It's Samuel, not Samuels. It's one Samuel. It's no, no S at the end of that. Um, yeah. yeah. So, but people are going to want to talk to you. Um so what's something that you want to leave people with? What's something that we might have left out? I mean, just anything that you want to say in general. I just I just want to say there should be never an excuse to not protect children. Right. Ever. Ever. Their safety 
their education because we we say education is a great, great equalizer. All things aren't equal. It's not the equalizer right now when kids are safe are not safe experiencing trauma. So what I'm saying, no matter how it feels, no matter if you say, well, I don't know, you can't negotiate ever mm. when it comes to their safety and well-being. And so for parents, I always say, if you can't tell me the color of the paint on your school's walls, then you're not handling your business. Hey. That's real talk. I think that's something strong to leave people with. Uh, Gwen, if you ever need me for anything, you let me know. Oh, and, and real quick, I think you said something about you not getting paid for this. So at the CT Parent Union, are you that? I mean, I, I'm going to need for you to be. Say that. Explain that for me. What? Because right, we're all volunteer. We you're, are. You're all, all volunteer? volunteer? Since 2011. And so we, you know, and again, we, we came out the gate strong. If you Google Connecticut Parent, we came out the gate changing game okay and so i've tried to fund it we've you know we had meetings and maybe i'm just looking in the wrong circle but every circle i've looked at the thing they want from me the most is to let someone else tell our narrative mm. i've seen too many parent groups good intentions probably maybe still having other leaders that are not parents own CEOs and all this old stuff. I don't understand that. Mm -hmm. And so we don't get a chance to grow and learn and fail because we ain't leading the show. So we are led by volunteers. We begin with parents. We end with parents. But it's not sustainable without a, a, a better, you know, a, a more of a... I so guess, how can folks help you? How, how can people be helpful? Um... We could benefit, right, from strategic planning to help as long as they know is organic and autonomy, meaning parents lead the show, we could benefit from people like you to help us create that structure, right? Because people think it's just Gwen Sammy, but I couldn't have done all this by myself. I had to have some other folk, right? The big laws passed and stuff. But, you know, and, and just to be able to help us with structure, enough structure, so that maybe we can go after um, uh, some dollars. But again, I guess we're leery. Now, we, we, we filled out our 501c3. We never submitted it because we weren't sure we were 501c3s or 501c4s mm. because we lobby, right? And I think if we don't teach parent public policy and budgets, we're doing a disservice. So for me to help us, we need help with strategic planning, how to take Connecticut Parents Union uh, to scale, if you will. So we don't have a shortage of people. We just of the structure but at the same time we can still be parent-led authentically well if you give me enough time in advance of knowing i i will do whatever i can to help you uh i, I never want to hear about you having issues with your lights you you have my personal cell phone number on that on that tip uh yeah. gwen i am proud of you i'm proud of the work that you're doing uh, this is amazing i've known your story but i didn't know all those details to it i think it's powerful um and I think we need to find out some ways to kind of get you some money so you can do this in a sustainable way that takes care of you and your family. But this is, um, I mean, this, I ain't got to sell out. So they, they looking. For the hey, I, I, I hear you. I hear you. I just, I think, I think this is the type of stuff that should be in textbooks that won't ever make it. And so, you know, I think that, um, this is, this is amazing. And I'm, I'm inspired by listening to you. Anytime you need me to do anything, you let me know. And anytime you want to hop in front of a, a camera and a microphone and, and and be able to to elevate your message and talk like i i'm i'm after hearing that story i am surprised 
and almost upset that I've not seen or heard you on other like um, podcasts or documentaries. And I know you've been on like you got interviewed a few times, but I just feel like that voice should be echoing through the country. And I think it'll just be powerful. And so anytime my platform, however big or small it is, you have full access to it. And so thank you so much. Thank you so much. No my problem. Brother. I appreciate thank you. it. Thank you for letting me let the hair down and have real talk. That's that's, that's the only way I know how to do it. There you go. I mean, I think that's why we hit it off from the gate, right? Like, I mean, it wasn't. Absolutely. You know, I think when we met each other, I mean, we both, you know, we were both working. But, you know, I'm always just be who I am in those spaces. And I think you are, too. I don't I don't have a problem speaking up in rooms. I don't have a problem with the, the, the accent from where I come from coming out. I don't have a problem with sharing my story. And I think that's something that we share um, in common. And the other thing, and I think for people listening, I don't have a problem asking a question when I don't know. So it's okay to not know. And I think sometimes we get, you know, we sell ourselves short or we get embarrassed if we don't know something. Chances are somebody else don't know something. And sometimes when you don't ask questions, these people empowered as making decisions and using that rationale don't know it either. And so if you know it so well, then you should be able to explain it to me with no problem. I'm confused. (laughs) So I think that that's something that we do. So, man, I appreciate you. And I want to have you back uh, soon. And uh, I'm blown away. You might be coming to Connecticut. So just know, you know, there are some great funders out there who who always offer to say, if I want to do events. One thing Mm -hmm. my strength is, is creating events. I I will come and speak at anything you need me to. You just got to give me some advance notice. I will be on the I will get on it on a plane and, and, and travel to the other side of the country for you. That is yeah, not thank a problem. You so much. I appreciate that. And I'm sure the parents and the students of Connecticut. Appreciate no problem. It. And I'm sure that this video will circulate amongst parent groups and they might be trying to book you to come speak at some stuff. So at any, don't do it for free. I'll so at any you, case, I'll be them so we can work <laughs> right, together. Right, right, stuff. right. But that, that's, that's probably a way for you to have fun. Just stuff though. Don't, don't do it for free. Um, <laughs> <laughs> people, Thank you all for tuning into the Cold World Podcast. I will see you all soon. If you want to hit up Gwen, please do. Uh, her Twitter, I've said it a few different times. Um, her Twitter is at RealTalkGwenS, and she's amazing. Uh, y'all have a good say one. say this. If they don't want to have Real Talk, then I'm not the one to call. They might as well get that up. <laughs> I, I, I think from this, from this talk, I think they know exactly what to expect. Y'all take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Uh, and I will see y'all on the other side. R.I.P. The prize, y'all. Peace.